Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello, this is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of CenterVision Leadership Foundation. This is uh, an edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. We have guests every week that share their wisdom, share their joy, share their stories, and influence us to learn. Sometimes we have people that tell us about the structure of what we do. Sometimes people tell us stories of their organization and progress they've made. Sometimes people have other stories and other things that we can learn. So today we have Sandra D. Robinson here. And um, Sandra, can I show a little video clip? Uh-oh. <laughs> is this is this like the Tonight Show where you show me something I should be embarrassed by? <laughs> George? George Jurgen? The one and only. Do we know each other? You've been served. Have a nice day. So that's, hey, that's the smallest <laughs> role that I ever did. You found that? <laughs> you found that secret I life was, an American teenager? Where I, did that I get pulled from the ether? <laughs> fine. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what's all of this stuff we can find on YouTube about. Good, Sandra, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Well, I've, I've been in front of the camera since I was 11. I think you found the one most obscure thing that I'd ever done. Hopefully that's the most obscure. Um, no, I, I actually, I'm, I'm from the Midwest and I have been in front of the camera since I was 11. So um, I, I grew up in TV and most of my background actually was working in daytime so soaps. So I've, you know, from, I started on a show called Another World and I played that role for all told nine years, but as it is in that daytime world, we hop from show to show and keep reoccurring and, you know, becoming our own ghosts and coming back and, you know, being a twin and all of those funny things that we do. But that's what I did for many years. And, and I did do nighttime things too. So I thought for real, I thought you were going to pull the two and a half men or the CSI Miami where I got my face ripped off or one of those things. Those are not so, really fun. <laughs> yeah. At, my, at one point, my sister says, you know, all the nighttime stuff I'd done, I had a series of them where I was killed in each one. I was like the guest star that got killed. And she goes, you keep getting killed. I said, I guess I die really well. I don't know. And then I had a series where I played homicidal doctors. So I don't know what they saw in me that I was always a psychologist with a needle in her hand that was, you know, going to kill somebody. So <laughs> It's been an interesting ride. None of it like me, which is interesting that you mentioned authenticity because I spent most of my, my life and making my fortune in television being completely inauthentic to who I actually was. So, <laughs> so talk about today now. You, you've you've yes. done a lot of different roles. You've done a lot of different things. And now you're doing some different things. But you know who we are is sort of a culmination of many things we've done in the past. And you know, I call myself an expert because I've learned a lot from the past. You have. You've got an amazing uh, performance background as well. So um, I moved into, into coaching um, in 2010. And my initial venture into this solopreneurship, entrepreneurship in that way was moving from coaching television hosts where I had been employed because my journey was an arduous one to be able to find my own voice. I was hiding behind my characters and that was my safe space. So I didn't do, I didn't know anything about finding out who was, who I was. I didn't know anything about 
understanding that I had an issue with self-doubt as most individuals deal with some level of it. Actually, all of us, I would say as humans do, but mine was really in the way. I had believed a lot of bad programming about myself growing up and it was really in the way of me actually having a happy and abundant life. Although I was looking like I was successful. So um, meaning that I had nice things. I was on TV every day, but I couldn't have a conversation with somebody that I didn't know, let alone go and sell myself. So my first venture into, into being a solopreneur was once I had overcome quite a bit of that and I was teaching TV hosts how to find their authentic voice. I now realize it was the same thing that I'm doing now. And they were going from trying out all the time to actually booking and making money. And the difference was I discovered I was working from the inside out. Well, that was 2010. The company was called Charisma on Camera. I still have programs underneath that and on that um, umbrella, but I sort of morphed into something a little more broad. So I've been nicknamed the Charisma Coach by media. I tend to work now with influencers and, and C-suite people, leaders, thought leaders, people that are really making a difference in the world they have in their heart to be able to change things for the better. And the only thing that is holding them back is a lot of times we get reprogrammed. We meaning most of us humans that are striving to find our way closer to where we're supposed to, where we're designed to be, as I say it with a capital D. And as we're making that journey, we have some of the programming that's hit us along the way that we have to get rid of. I mentioned that I had some bad programming going up growing up and, and I had a, a mother that, uh, you know, really enforced that life would be better if I hadn't been born. I'm not the only one that had that kind of, you know, lie that we, you know, I believed and I know I'm not alone in that. And sometimes we can think, well, I've moved past that, but that little piece is still there and it's keeping us from actually owning who we're designed to be. And so my pleasure now is actually working with leaders, whether it's a leader of a company or somebody that's leading a mass following on social media, or it's somebody that is leading nonprofit. I do um, quite a bit of work with leaders in the nonprofit world. And sometimes it's because their belief is, I don't really have to be seen. I just want to bring attention to the cause. And the reality is they are the one that has to be seen. And so there's some things that have to be rectified with that. And they have to, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's the same journey that I had where I had to really attach to who God designed me to be and not just accept it, but actually love it, forgive myself for a lot of things and start to change the language that I was using as well on myself so that I could use better language and empower other people. That's a lot of good stuff. It's been a journey. <laughs> a journey well you're authentic because you're you're just dealing with it straight up and you're you're telling the truth like it is um yeah the truth is simple but simple can be very deep right and and just realizing putting your feet on the ground and saying this is who i am this is who god created i heard that come through and that's mm -hmm. powerful that's very powerful so it's transparency and authentic yes. authenticity to who you've been created to be now, yes. we, we in the nonprofit world, and I'm going to include clergy of all faiths in that, yes. because we, we have these myths that we've inherited about how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to do. Yes. And so th that's inauthentic to me. We're trying to emulate someone else or something somebody else told us. 
So as, as you work with thought leaders in any realm, you were, we're talking to nonprofit leaders and clergy, but many people yes. have a foot in both camps. They're doing uh, a business yeah. and a nonprofit or a church and a business. So what's yeah. a common, common myth that you see that you help people deal with? And let's, you know, let's be real. I recognize the church. I'm in a launch committee for a church as well. So I recognize the church is still a business. You have to have a mind, a business in order to keep the doors open and be able to reach everybody. So it's, to me, it's a combination of both. Um, it's interesting that you, I caught something that you said, and I, I just would like to address it if I could. The feeling that we are, I say we, meaning the people that are watching the show, I'm including you as part of that, but Let's just say, you know, speak. It's so awkward for me to do that. So I'm just going to speak as if it's me and hopefully you can identify. I had the feeling that I, as you were saying, was supposed to be a certain way um, in whatever role I was playing. And I don't necessarily just mean the, the acting role, but once I moved into real life world, the role of girlfriend, the role of wife, the role of, of leader of my company, the role of speaker, I thought, well, I have to be a certain way. I must appear a certain way. And if I'm not this way, then I am wrong. So the problem with thinking that you are supposed to be one or the other tends to really encourage binary choices, binary thinking, meaning that you're either good or bad. It's either right or wrong. And especially I find in the nonprofit world where the hearts are big and the same with clergy where the hearts are big, the need to be right is very much something that can actually hold people back. And because what is the definition of right? When the, the real effort for me is to help people understand who they authentically are. So I'll give you a perfect example. It just happened today. I am upgrading my, my system, my calendar, and I'm upgrading a lot of things that I'm doing so that I can actually end up serving people better. But kind of like when you upgrade your, your Apple computer, right? It doesn't always go well when you're like, you come back six hours later and you're like, what the heck is going on? You know, this isn't working. It's not connecting to that. Something is, so you're finding errors because you're upgrading. Well, I had the gift, the blessing of errors today. And I had to reach out to a client of all things. And this is so against my, this is the wrong thing for me to do is to call up a client and say, maybe reschedule. I just make that a policy. I don't do that. Well, I tell you something. I called up the client and I said, I have the gift of an error today as I'm upgrading my system and my calendar. Would it be possible to reschedule for this time? And I sent it off and I thought, oh, you know, I'm still, still getting, I'm like, oh, this just doesn't feel good. I'm so disappointed in myself. And then I stopped myself and said, no. It's not wrong, errors happen. It's the way you look at the way you're designed to that error. So errors happen. In fact, it was pointed out to me that golf is a game of errors. The wealthiest people, the biggest thought leaders in the world, what's the game that they play? Golf. A game of errors. Uh huh. They keep track of the errors. They walk around with a piece of paper, happily marking off the errors. It's all about the errors and they the, the game is designed as a peaceful, beautiful, it is beautiful, isn't it? I mean, you spend a lot of money to be able to go out there and make errors all day long. And they, it's not usually met with self-judgment. Yet when we make an error, like I made today, and even when I sent off the email, I had this feeling of, oh, and yes, I don't want it to happen again. But you know, the amazing thing was, I was perfectly open about it. And I said, I'm upgrading. There's some issues. I'm working on them. And his answer was, great. As a matter of fact, thank you, God. 
it works out better when he rescheduled for him and for me. Worked out better than having it today. So the alternative to that is what a lot of people do, what I previously had done, which is I've made a mistake. I should be this person. I should be doing that. I should be perfect. You, it's not going to happen. I mean, we upgrade, we up level, we get better. We learn from every error. And you can see memes that say that all day long, but how do you really treat yourself? How do you really honor who you're designed to be? Like, if you look at yourself as I, I was talking to a friend of mine, I said, you know, I use the equivalent of queen because she was a dancer who had danced in front of queens and kings for around the world. And I said, you know, you, she emanates queenness to me. And I said, you know, she says, well, I've heard that before. <laughs> and sometimes we do, we get the feedback for who we actually are from other people and we hear it and we just dismiss it and go ahead and, you know, treat ourselves like the slaves instead of the royalty that God designed us to be. And it's fine to think that because we're made in, in his image. And that's something that I had to really come to grips with and, and understand. So when I said to this woman, I said, you know, she, people were kind of stepping all over her. She's a wonderful heart. And they were really, and she was starting to feel this burden, which I'm sure a lot of people in this audience have felt when the demands get high and you want, I should be able to handle this, right? I'm supposed to be able to handle all this. And she was really starting to feel a little, as I would almost call it resentment for the situation that's human. And I said, do you think the queen would let that happen? <laughs> and she stopped and she was like, no. I said, do you think the queen would ever let anybody that was pulling from her near her? No. Hmm. Okay. Do you think the queen would let people be 35, 45 minutes late for a meeting? Because that was part of the issue that sent this woman over. She's organizing a meeting and people were showing up 30 minutes late. And she said, no, you have to be on time. When they want you to dance, you start dancing. I said, so expect people to dance. Love and it. she was like, oh. <laughs> I said, haven't you felt like royalty at times? Haven't you? Because this is what I see in you. And I tell her what I see in her, you know, almost like this eminence. And she said, yes, I've heard that. And yes, I identify with that. I said, well, that's your design. And I do more than just, you know, talking woo like that. I actually have an assessment that I do. I have a branding, personal branding assessment. And I actually have a way of letting people actually see that for themselves, not just me pontificating. Um, but it was interesting because when I said that to her, I said, do you think a queen would actually put up with that? And she goes, oh no, you would never do that. Okay. Well, you've already been told that's who you are. And it the next meeting, I was at the next meeting and she very firmly said, you know, and, and here's the funny thing. When I was talking to her, the meeting was still on. She was waiting for people to show up. And I said, shut the meeting down. You're 45 minutes late. And she shut it down. I said, how's it feel? She goes, so good. Like, yes. And guess what? Today we have another meeting and I guarantee you they're all going to show up on time. I know they will because of how she handled it. And what she had been doing was in so many ways, letting that programming of, I should be a good girl. I should be able, I should wait. I should be polite. And we do that so often that we're really not serving other people. She wasn't serving the team by letting them be late. That's a great story. That is a impactful story. And, you know, we, we don't respect people when we allow that to happen. It's true. So, and we do, we know we're not on purpose. Things don't get done 
You can't start a meeting 30 minutes late because you're afraid that somebody's going to get mad at you, you know, and, and allow it. So if you don't allow it, that's why I say it's a, you know, even looking at the church, it's a business. It's a business. You have to show up on time. You have to, um, and I hate the word have to, but it's, you know, showing up on time, getting things done, having, um, understanding what people's gifts are that are on the team, helping them find that authentic piece of them, you know, helping them find out, yeah, you know what, you, you, you should hold other people to a higher standard and then you lift everybody. We've all heard that analogy before. Writer, author, speaker, uh, priest, uh, Richard Rohr yes. uh, writes about dualistic thinking. It's either black or white, good or bad, left yes. or right, up or down. Interesting. And, and we get into that trap. It's either or thinking. Right. And sometimes it's both and. So you've had, um, I picked a fun little clip from years ago, but you're Sandra, you've had a transition through life. And you've experienced a whole lot of different people and a whole lot of different situations. Now, it's it's helped shape who you are, but you've paid attention to all of those learning opportunities. All the errors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, they're learning opportunities. How about yes. let's, let's frame it into that space? Yes. No, I, I look at it honestly as God's learning tool. I had a coach that shared that with me and I went, okay. And it is. It's part of creation. When things don't go right, it's an opportunity to sit back, take a look at it and go, huh, instead of trying to cover it up and work past it, just go, huh, let's look at that. You yeah. and I have both experienced some very important people in, in our careers. Mm -hmm. And um, I had the best conductors in the world come to my, I had a very good facility in my church in Florida. So inviting really competent choirs and conductors was not a problem because it was a good place to make music um it also i invited them to come in january in the middle of winter when they were somewhere cold that had some impact on it but i found out what you did there they were real people <laughs> yes right they were, they were real people they were really important they did something really well but yes they were authentic they were sincere they were serving the purpose and mm -hmm. so despite the the public persona there was there was this sincerity to serve underneath. So yes. who and 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 I worked with some powerful uh, preachers in my forty years, and one of them who built this twelve thousand member church in Atlanta, that I I served, he was he was waiting with the groom to go in for a wedding and happened to be a very important person. And the groom had not come had not been a church member. So this preacher was a salesman. He said, when are you going to join the church? And the guy said to the pastor, this very legendary pastor, well, sometimes I doubt my faith. And the reply was from this legendary pastor, so do I. Next, when he got back on his honeymoon, he came to church because ah! of that authentic, transparent Yes. So, so who that you've worked with in your career has had an impact on you in this authenticity, transparency that you're talking about? Any particular person that's had real big impact in your life? Oh, wow. There's so many that I could choose from. Gosh. Um, I've got a whole, like, you have a whole slew. I have like an entire Excel spreadsheet going through my head right now. I was going to say Rolodex, but then I thought people don't even know what that is anymore. Um, <laughs> so let me, let me think about that. Um, yeah, I'm going off script here. I'm not doing our questions. So, uh, no, that's I didn't okay. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an awesome question. And I mean, wow. 
I, I, there, there are directors, there's casting directors, there's some actors, you know, it's interesting because actors tend to morph. People say, oh, would you stay in touch with a lot of actors? And I don't, um, because like I did, they, they morph their personality and, and their lifestyle with what's going on in the, in their, you know, work life. And I was always drawn to people that were a little bit more steady, probably because up until I started doing the work on myself, emotionally, I wasn't steady. So I wanted to be around people that were steady. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. Um, we find ways. About, while you're picking one of those many people, mm -hmm. there, there's an authenticity of who we are versus what we do. Yes. And we, we tend to confuse those. So you're, you're on stage, yes. and I want to talk about presentation and skills and whatnot, but you're yes. on stage, that's your work, but you're still you. So how do you maintain the you when you have to present? That is, that is my specialty. And, you know, someone did come to mind rather recently, in fact, um, and she's, you know her. She just joined an organization that we're in. I had a wonderful talk with a woman named, known as Grandma Sparky. Oh, yes. Okay. So she's in my mind because it was one of the most recent mm -hmm. things. Um, older woman, international exposure with what she's doing. She does this wonderful thing to empower children and people all around the world about handing out blue ribbons and, and inspiring them to hand out ribbons to other people to build people up and build, you know, build, build everyone up worldwide. It's an amazing thing. And uh, it's, it's just had incredible outreach. There's been a movie done on what she's done. And I sat on a phone call with her. And what I loved was her saying that at one point she had everything. And I mean, a very wealthy, beautiful home. She told me where the home was. I could envision it on the water, California, the car that she was driving. And she said, I actually considered taking that beautiful car and driving off a cliff. And I knew exactly where the cliff was gonna be. And I knew exactly how far the, the fall was. And I knew that it would kill me. And to look at what she was able to accomplish because she got the download one day, no, you can't do that. Meaning, cause she considered this, this was when you become suicidal, you actually get pragmatic about it. And she was taking that road every day in this beautiful car and considering doing this. And so there was something that was missing. And I love the fact that she told this story because she listened to the voice. And so being inauthentic can appear very successful, which is, I think, you know, uh, Megan, Megan and Harry had their interview with Oprah not long ago. And Megan actually said, never assume somebody else's position or what they're going through in their life is what they seem because you never know what is going on underneath. And Halisa's story was exactly that. It, Grandma Sparky's name is Halisa. I don't know if I said that clearly. So Halisa was sharing this with me and she said, you know, that voice came and said, you can't drive your car off because you're gonna be empowering millions of people around the world, especially children. And she was like, I don't have any way of doing that. But the how isn't our job. That's his job. Our job is to listen and to identify how he programmed us. And just like a lovely Apple computer, we're going to have errors every once in a while. But what that's exactly what I do is I take people back. So I don't say that I teach them how to perform. I help them remember who they are so that when they're speaking, whether it's leading a boardroom meeting or raising funds from a stage for their nonprofit or teaching from their pulpit or leading their company or doing a video or getting in the media, that they're coming from a place that they're not only comfortable in, but they know inside out. Are you comfortable in your favorite room of your house? 
if you want to feel good and you want to relax, you go into that favorite chair. Yes. So that's how I want people to feel in their skin because I know what it's like to not feel that way. And the more you appreciate what you've been given, even if it has errors once in a while, like me today going, yeah, I have the blessing of an error. <laughs> you know, it's an opportunity to upgrade every single time. And every time we upgrade, we step closer into what we were designed to be. So when I say remember, I, that's when I said, remember, I said to the woman that I said, you seem like a queen to me. Have you ever been told that? She said, yes, I could probably go back and ask her. It's one of my favorite questions to ask, and I'll pose it to your audience. When I'm from the stage, I love to ask this question because I would not be surprised if I knew the answer to the woman that I said, you seem like royalty. I bet when she was little, she was doing something related to that, that sense of what I get from her. And so I'll ask somebody, when you were six years old, in fact, Hugh, I'm going to ask you, when you were six years old and time stood still, what were you doing? I lived in Tallahassee, Florida, and it snowed. So were you playing in this? No, you mean you actually remember that that was a day that it snowed into. So what did you do? I went out in my mind and oh my, I had a jacket. Usually people in Florida don't Amazing. have a jacket, but I had no one played in the snow because it was a one time and forever occurrence almost. Interesting. So did you go out and play by yourself or did yeah. you get other people? Just me. Just, Just me. you. And my mom, my mom, she, did, she wanted to make sure I didn't get in trouble because I didn't know what this was. <laughs> That's really sweet. Okay. So what I see from that is that you take opportunity when it shows up and you like to have a good time, which when I was watching you sign, sign on to this and get things ready and get people excited about being here with you, that was exactly the, the feeling I got from you, almost like this wonderful childlike joy of life. So it makes sense that that would be a memory that comes up for you. Now, most people, when I say, what were you doing at six with May Time Stand Still? I've had, for instance, one woman say to me very clearly, I remember this because she's one of the few that actually came to tears. When I said, what were you doing? And she said, I was dancing. And along the way, this is a perfect example of the programming. Somebody said to her that she wasn't good. So she quit. Even though she was winning competitions, something in her believed that and she quit and then she got married and she had kids and I said so are you still dancing and she started to cry I've had people do that with singing you know it doesn't always have to be a, a, a creative thing but I noticed that creatives when they stifle that and it's not that you have to if you're creative that you have to have a job in in the creative world it just could be that you have it as a passion so my recommendation to this woman is i said sweetie will you do me a favor the, the singer is, is the one i'm talking about now i same thing this one said i was singing i said are you singing now she goes no and she started to cry and i said may i recommend to raise your happiness level in your life and your feeling of abundance would you go find a choir because my church has been asking me then i went would you go and say yes that will change, that will remind her of who she was when she was six years old, you know, and bring some of that back so that she can remember her design, at least a piece of it. And then it's kind of like a puzzle. You start to put the other stuff together and realize that it all reinforces one another. I mean, he doesn't make junk, you know? <laughs> no, as no. part of my stories, I tell in my keynotes. So you started with the word authenticity Yes. Suggested that transparency is also part of the mix. Yes. And if, if you're speaking uh, awareness, you were aware of yourself and what was going on and what you needed to do to mm -hmm. transpose those what you call errors. Um, and so I had outside help. I'm not going to lie. 
I had, I mean, I, I had help from, I mean, to, to step into my faith a little bit, I had help from God when I was a child. So something in me didn't feel right when I was with my mom. And that was my actual design, how we all came into the world. Perfect. <laughs> um, kind of fighting back and going, this doesn't feel good. So as a kid, all I did was I just went outside and nature is truth. That's where I, a lot of people find God, they feel connection there. And I did. And so I communicated there. I learned there. I felt good there. And because of that, whenever I would hear those words from my mother, there was always that, mm, I don't know. I did end up at one point really owning it when I ended up getting bullied in school, when I started showing up and modeling and, and commercials and things, I had a bit of that. So it got to be too much and it did overwhelm me for a while. Um, creating, you know, my, my reaction was creating an eating disorder and all kinds of stuff. So I'm not saying that, Hey, I've always been great, but there was in the beginning, you know, something inside of me that was looking out for me. And so at some point I had outside help. I had somebody, several coaches. I really believe in having coaches or advisors or somebody that can step in, even if it's a member of your church, somebody that can, even if you are the pastor, the leader of your church, I think you still have to have somebody that is going to be the person to speak into you and call you to sit and look at the errors and to recognize the things that are your amazing gifts and the strengths that sometimes go dormant and to make sure that you're using them all, you know? So. Give yourself credit for having one mouth, two ears and two eyes. You watched and you listened more than you, you were listening. You paid attention, you listened. I wanna, I wanna delve into um, the, the sphere of influence of a leader. I'm gonna do a commercial break here, but can we come back? Uh, you and I both experienced what we call ensembles. You have a, an ensemble theater company, acting company. I have musical ensembles. Yes. And yes. each of us is influencing others. So I want to talk about uh, our magazine. This is our friend, uh, Frank Shankowitz. Motorcycle yes. started this great worldwide nonprofit. And Frank is no longer with us, but his legacy is here. We published his magazine, uh, Nonprofit Performance. And it's published by a company. Uh, it's printed by a company called Word Sprint. We publish it, they print it, but they mail it for us. Word Sprint works with nonprofits all over helping them stay in touch with their tribe. You put a piece of mail, it might be a magazine, might be a postcard, it might be other thing. You tell your members, your supporters, what you're doing. It's good stewardship. Let them know good things are happening. If you tell them what you've been doing, tell them what you've been doing, tell them what you've been doing. It's mm -hmm. the right message to the right person on the right schedule. And then at the end of the year, when you say, hey, we're doing a fun drive, they're all on board because they know what you're doing. It's top of mind marketing. It's relationship building with the people who love you, who supported you. So let's stay in touch. Wordsprint.com. Bill Gilmer and his team will help you figure out how to keep your donors loyal and donating and active because they know what's going on. Wordsprint.com. So Sandra, we both experienced ensembles and- yes. What I know about leaders and what I teach about leaders is we influence others. So even if you're in the middle, I worked in mega churches and influenced them from middle, middle management. I wasn't the preacher, but I was it impacted people all around me. So talk about leading from within, leading from your position of influence. Yes. I mean, I, I have a, a talk that I did um, for, for quite, quite a while. In fact, I guess I'd still do it if somebody wanted it, but, um, but I, I thought it was interesting 
the power of influence. And it was entitled how to be the most influential person in the room, even if you're not the wealthiest. And what it is, is even if you're not in a leadership position, you have influence. You have influence in anybody that you have influence when you step out into the world and you go into a store, the difference that somebody can make. I remember Joe Olstein's wife influenced somebody without even knowing it. She walked by a woman that was, you know, exiting the church and she took a look at her and she goes, you are so pretty. And she just kept walking and later found out that that girl was actually suicidal. And the fact that somebody saw her was influential enough in her life that she was still there to tell Ms. Solstein, the story when she came back to the church years later. So influence can happen no matter where you are. If you're working in the mailroom, if you're getting coffee for a company and you do it to the best of your ability and you do it authentically with us, you know, if you're curious, be curious. If you're funny, go ahead and be funny. Find a way that you can bring who you actually are to whatever task it is that you're doing. And, you know, Joel, um, why can't I remember Joel Osteen's wife right now? Uh, her name. Somebody out there knows it right now, um, <laughs> but she, her gift is recognizing beauty. It's one of the things that she just does. She seems to do all the time. It's very natural for her. So living in her authentic space, she went by and she acknowledged somebody. And if you were to do that for somebody that's in your team, you're making a huge influence, even if it's somebody that is above you on the ranking. So being influential as a, as a leader and coming from that space, yes, I believe Listening is very important. Find out where they're coming from. Find out what lights them up and be influential enough in them to, to raise them up if you see something in their design that they don't see or move them to somewhere that they may better use those gifts that you see or that they feel aren't being used. So sometimes when you do the listening, they'll hear it and then you can actually go, oh, okay. You know what? We can use that. It'll it'll work out. Kind of like my schedule worked out where the you know, today where my client said, you know what? It works better for me on Thursday. I'm like, awesome. I'm glad I asked. But sometimes if you if you stay in the well, I should push this person to do well in this position. It's not really being authentic to who you are if you're holding a safe space for them. Which uh, when I work with a lot of the the folks in the nonprofit world in particular, that is their gift. They all seem to say across the board, I create safe space. Mm -hmm. And that, but I have learned and have helped them understand is one of the most powerful leadership qualities you can have. We have powerful qualities that we don't recognize. So As powerful. Awareness is, part, is important here. I work with many, many, many nonprofit leaders doing all kinds of stuff. And they're all dedicated to their cause. There yes. is a common trait that people have a passion for creating the impact in, in the lives of others. And they start this leadership position without being a leader, or at least perceiving themselves to be a leader. Yes. So that sometimes people feel like they're faking it when really nobody knows how to do it because you're probably doing something nobody has ever done before. So how you, you better be. That's what a leader does, you know? <laughs> I mean, we live in the future. We I started directing choirs when I was 18. I was nothing but potential. I'd study music, study piano. I knew what it was about, but I'd never been in a choir, but I believed I could do it. And I just proceeded and put together what I knew when I got my master's at 48, a few years later, I determined all the things that I didn't know. It was quite embarrassing, but. So let me guess, you, you made a lot of errors. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> do you keep track of that, you know? And yeah. 
No, those are I, good things. You have to let it go because it sits on you. So, what would you no. say to people that don't feel authentic when they're really doing the work they've been called to do and they're doing the best they can? What would you say to those people to encourage Wait. them to keep going? I think what you're talking about is the imposter syndrome yeah, for some people. Yeah, you feel that way. In one, um, and there is a time that that has served me to be able to. That was my dog moaning. I don't know if you heard that. That wasn't me. <laughs> it just, just, I do worry about that because she sounds like a man moaning, and it's just my German Shepherd. I swear. Okay. We believe you. <laughs> Welcome to the to the to the Zoom world, right? Like you never know what's actually going on. Um, so that imposter thing, I definitely understand that, and I definitely know that there have been times when I have been able to go, okay, you know what? I'm just I may not be feeling this 100%, but I'm just going to go in and act as if. And and sometimes that's what you have to do, and it works out okay. I wouldn't rely on it, but I wouldn't be afraid of it. If it's what it comes down to, then do it. Because here's the thing, when it works out, your body goes, yeah, that felt good. Okay, so kinesthetically, you can do it again. And suddenly it's like that riding a bike. It might be a little shaky at first, but then you step into that. So there's nothing wrong necessarily with acting as if you're totally in control. Just make sure that there is that sense of personal forgiveness if an error occurs. It's hard to forgive ourselves, isn't it? It's very hard. It takes a lot and we can say it, but do we really do it? So, yeah, so I, I give, I will actually write down what I'm forgiving myself for if I'm having a difficult time. And I'll say the lesson that I learned from this error is, and I am grateful for this lesson. Thank you, God. And, you know, moving forward. And then it's out of me. I'm not holding on to it anymore. It's out of me. So it's kind of like saying, sure, I forgive that person and then having to forgive them again and forgive them again, forgive them again, you know, and we do that. But if we just decide, see, making a decision is part of really strong leadership. And that decision making process is for us as well as everybody else. So deciding that, yes, I'm really going to forgive myself and accept the blessing instead of the shame, the guilt, whatever is attaching to you really just release it and say, thank you, God, there's a blessing in here. I see the blessing in the error and I forgive myself moving on. You have extraordinary communication skills because you focus on relationship. Yes. And um, I do believe, and I teach that the foundation for leadership, the foundation for communication and the foundation of our success in our enterprise, whether it's for profit or for purpose, I call them, it's based in relationship. Yes. Um, and so you also work with people and horses. You do a, this communication thing with horses, right? Yes, I do. I do. And it's just interesting because as you were saying relationship, um, for some reason, I pictured you in front of the orchestra and just realizing that that's relationship too. So if one is off, you know, if, if one instrument is off, the choice is to match that instrument or to pull them back into alignment. So there's a lot of relationship that goes on with what you have done for all your life as well. Um, yes, the horses are interesting because remember, as I said, I found that nature is actually felt like truth to me. I didn't understand it at the time. It was more of a subconscious attraction to it. And I do think that there is something about horses in particular some people have this romantic vision of them. Some people are just slightly afraid of them. Whatever it is, some people think they're sexy. 
you know, or they have a history with them when they were little, they had a pony or something. So I find that they're a great introduction to helping people take a breath, get out in nature, get away from the phone, the rings, the dings, the, you know, all the things that distract us and, and just, just to be, to just be. And a horse expects you to be present, which is very difficult for a lot of us, especially leaders, people that have that drive, that have things being pulled from them right and left all the time. Being present is, is a luxury, you know, and it shouldn't, there's that word shouldn't, that's not a good word. I wish that it wasn't so elusive for many people. And just to have them remember what it's like to just be because a horse has no story. They don't live in story like we do. So in order to communicate and the work, the work that I do is equine assisted learning. It's not therapy because I, I say that because I have the ultimate respect for people that do equine assisted therapy. What I do is a, I don't say lesser version of it, but I do equine assisted learning with the same modality that the therapy does. But if somebody poses trauma or something that they really need to deal with emotionally, I send them off to, to, to my associates. So for this, it's really just clarity and appreciation of self clarity and communication. And so the role is to be on the ground with the horse. We don't ride and build a relationship. So you said relationship. So they're building a relationship. And in order to do that, they don't speak the same language. That horse is not buying any story they walk in with. Doesn't care if they're pulled up in a Range Rover or a Honda. And the horse is just looking at him like, what energetically are you being right now? Because if you ask a horse what time it is, it's now. And if you can't be that energy now, that animal is going to walk away from you. Or this is a case where if you act as if, that horse will walk away from you. I've seen it so many times. So if somebody says, I am confident. I am going, I am a confident leader and they try to lead the horse, the horse will a lot of times just ignore them. But if they say, I am doing my best to be confident and be a good leader, I am learning to be a good leader. Their energy suddenly shifts. It doesn't matter what they've said. It's the energy that comes from the thought and what they've actually spoken and how their cells of their body receive that. And all of a sudden that horse will turn around and walk up to them. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen every time. I'm not saying if you go out and try it with any random horse, it's going to happen. There's an environment and there's a state of mind that I've helped to put people in before we actually attack this, but it happens quite often. And it's the power of our thoughts. It's the power of what we walk in with. It's the difference of walking in thinking I should be this way and instead walking in going, this is how I'm designed. I may make mistakes. Things may not always go well, but let's, let's make this thing happen as opposed to, I should be able to lead this and make this happen. So it's a very different energy. So the horses pick up on that. And it's a very deep transformation that happens very quickly. It's one of the reasons that I like it. So I, I do retreats, exclusive retreats for women four times a year. COVID of course upheaved all of that stuff. So we'll see how many we get in. We only got two in last year. So we'll see how many we get in this year. Yeah. And you need to be on the right end of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am responsible for your safety as well. So I, I, I do keep an eye on that. <laughs> so um, um, I, I found that video, your little trailer for your yes. horse encounter. And I put that on the landing page for this interview. So oh, cool. I encourage people to go to the nonprofitexchange.org and look at 
this interview and find yes. that video. It's on the page as well as today's interview. And I've done work with, with teams as well. So I've had small, I've had organizations and small companies say, Hey, can we come and, and do a group, you know, our own little group and do that same retreat. And so I, I do those kind of things as well. You know, there's a saying if the orchestra respects the conductor, they play as the conductor intends. If they don't, they play exactly as you direct. And so the relationship piece, there's a relationship between the players and the orchestra. And um, they can treat you like the back end of a horse if you don't, if you don't <laughs> treat them right. And yes. uh, you know, it's, it's, not a pretty, it's not a pretty picture. And I've seen um, famous conductors really beat up on orchestras in rehearsal. And then in concert, they get even. <laughs> they play poorly. And, and who looks bad? Well, it's the leader. And so that happens, that happens to the best of us when we're not authentic and we don't work on, you know, these are people that we're leading. They're not subjects. You know, I love that you use the word intention because intention is, is everything. So looking back at the woman leader who says, I am a confident leader. She's, you know, her, it's a little muddled because she's not believing it. But if she says, I'm learning to be a confident leader, it's much more, the intention is much clearer. There's no gunk in the way. And thus the horse will turn and react. And our intention, to be very clear in our intention, helps us with our language. So literally we'll have cleaner language and be able to be more efficient in the words that we choose. If we start a sentence with my intention is, suddenly we won't be using disempowering words like don't, can't, should, the word we've been talking, going back to. Um, those don't really pop up if we say my intention is. And then you'll find support. So it's a very interesting way to, to start um, even a difficult conversation. Start with my intention is. Great word. And you were aware earlier in this conversation when you said have to, or, you know, you. Yes, you, I stopped myself. Yeah. It didn't sound right. And you, yeah. you reframed because it didn't sound right to you. Mm -mm, uh, that was an error. <laughs> so we are influencers. And yes. um, I, I think I shared with you, I started speaking at CEO Space in uh, May of 2007 in front of a thousand people and big cameras and screens and stuff. And I don't think that the founder understood that I, I've been on stage all my life, but I'd had my back to the audience. <laughs> so there's a, there's a presentation skill. Now, the authenticity, we are presenting, we are sharing with people our vision. So we're influencers and we want people to respond, not only to our words, but to us and to the, the message. Yes. So what tips... We do stupid things. We don't rehearse. We show up, you know, fragmented. What words of inspiration? You've been on camera. You've been on stage. Yeah. You're a polished performer. And I'm very all of a sudden aware that I'm interviewing a professional interviewer because you've had an interview show where you interviewed <laughs> celebrities. And doing more. The podcast is starting. So I get to delve into it again. But I've done radio shows and I've interviewed doctors and, and lawyers and biologists. I had a wildlife radio show for a while. So I've, I've interviewed all kinds of people. Yes. And I love it. It's fun. But it didn't stop me. I'm not, I'm not being self-aware. I'm just doing it because I'm not a professional. Which is great. Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, so, so what do we need to be aware of when we're presenting even to one person? 
Yes. So if I could boil it down to one thing, and I've been teaching this since I started teaching the television hosts way back when, right? When I was still working in soap operas and starting my company at the same time. Um, the number one thing is somebody said to me, well, I have, let's just talk about stage fright, any inhibitions, anything like I, I'm in my head. I got the monkey mind. I got all these crazy things that are short. You know, I can't remember my, my, my talk. I can't remember the things I'm supposed to say. I'm so afraid I'm going to mess it up. All of these things. I'm afraid they're not going to like me. I hate public speaking. I mean, this is the stuff that was coming at me. And I, for one would black out if somebody handed me a microphone and told me to be me, tell me to be a homicidal doctor, right? <laughs> I could do that. Don't hand me a microphone in the beginning of my career and say, just be yourself. Cause I would literally block it out and not have any idea what I was saying. I just would get rid of the microphone as quickly as possible and run off in tears. I mean, I was bad. So the, the, the number one thing that I would say is whether it's a presentation to one person or a presentation, as you said, your first speech was to a thousand people with the lights and the screens and all that really understand to your core who you're there to serve. What is it that you want to leave them with? And when I first started speaking, I was selling from the stage. That's how I fell into it, right? So I would give information and then, you know, serve them by offering them a training that I was doing. But and at first it was like, oh, I feel so sleazy selling from the stage. And I had to reverse that and go, no, no, no. I'm up there. Not only do I have to present something of value to see their heads go, yes, I get it. But then show them by offering them further training, how they can actually implement it. I am not serving them if I don't offer them more. So my fear of sales went away. Any fear of asking for money went away because I am actually serving something way bigger than me. It's not about me when I'm up there. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing to remember, you know, think to yourself, it's not about me. And I have a wonderful exercise that I do mentally that helps open up your, this is going to sound woo, but it does work to really center and then open up your awareness to just bring everybody into your peripheral and everything that you can sense you're sending love to and bringing them into your embrace and, and serving them. And if you have a real heart to serve and you have a cause that you are really deeply ingrained something in the world that you really want to change, then that is the reason you're there. It's not about you. And when you, you realize, oh, it's not about me, then the second you start thinking, are they looking at my outfit? Am I sounding okay? You know, am I going to, no, no, no. The second the word, am I comes up in your thoughts, reframe. I'm here for this purpose. I'm here to deliver this. It's about what you're giving. And that helps immensely. And what does that come back down to? Just what you had said before, the word intention. My intention is, and you can even say that to yourself as you're walking up going, my intention is, and what is it? And that's the reason you're there. So it sounds funny to say, you know, love yourself and love your design and, and love your authentic self. And then it's not about you, <laughs> but it's, but it's not. Give us something, you know, what's your final shot, your challenge to all of us who are leaders? Gosh, you know, okay, I'm gonna leave you with one thing. It's actually the story of the beginning in the beginning of my book. I'll tell it quickly. So, and it, it's horse related, of course. So it just bring all back around, but we moved here to Austin and we only had two horses. I think Bob alluded to the fact that you start and they sort of, you know, <laughs> you don't keep one horse for very long. If you keep it, then you get two and then you get, we have five now. So, but we came with two. And my goal was to be able to leave our ranch, which was less than an acre in California and give them land to run. And so I was super excited once the gate was, was up, 
the trucks were done moving and I could take the horses from the barn and actually take them to the open field. So I'm super excited. I put the halters on, I lead them out and I'm expecting them to do what God designed them to do. In my mind, it's that romantic version of the horse with the wind blowing through their mane and, and they're just running free and having this, they're being a horse, which is what I really wanted more than anything, especially because I had an older horse that I loved to death. She loved to run. So I take her to the edge of the field and I take off the, the halter, I take off his halter and I stand there and they run five steps and then turn around and haul their butts right back to the barn. Not once, not twice, but three times. So it's kind of like they didn't want the gift that I was giving them. When I And I'm walking back, I'm thinking, this is crazy because don't they see this is what they're designed to do? And I'm kind of moping and grumbling on my way back to the barn for the third time and I hear this download. And I swear it was God's voice very clearly saying, when have you done this to me? When have I been designed to do something and instead listen to the bad programming and not being authentic, stepped away from the opportunity and didn't go into the field, even though I was designed to do it. So not to live in regret, but the next time that you think, I don't know if this is right, tap in and do it. Take the opportunity. So that's, I'll leave with that. <laughs> By the way, it took four days. And then I have a very shaky video of my older horse who was 20 at the time, kicking her feet up in happiness over her head. And they both of them ran around the field two or three times in full gallop. So it was great. I got my payoff in the end. So Sandra D. Robinson dot com is where you yes. can find about Sandra and her work. And there's a contact button there. Click on the contact button, Sandra. D D E E Robinson R O B I N S O N dot com. Sandra, you are an inspiration just showing up, but then you start adding to that. It's just <laughs> giving us so much to think about today. Thank you so much for being. Well, thank you. I love your energy. It was so much fun. I loved your audience. And thank you. Thank you very much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.